0: If you have your Bible, uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, opening it to Romans chapter 4 today, as we've been going through the book of Romans, we've come after more than a full year to chapter 4. We're going to cover eight verses today, Lord willing. Can you believe that? Uh, So Romans 4, if you don't have a Bible, then get one of the black pew Bibles that's on the end of each pew, and it's on page 941 in there. And I really do hope that you'll have the text of Scripture open in front of us. That's why we consider this the most central element of worship. The preaching is the worship of God, even more so than a singing, because this is God speaking to us, and we want to take in the words that He has told us in the Scriptures, to believe these words, to submit ourselves under these words, and to rejoice in what God has said to us. So let's read from Romans 4, verses 1 through 8 today. His faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. There is a vast confusion in the world about what is the difference between a sinner and a saint. The fact is, We remain sinners. Even as we become saints, we have to be continually reminded that we are sinners, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Sometimes when I talk to people who are are not believers in Christ, they'll ask me about the church just because, you know, they find out that's my job. I'm a pastor And one of the things that I get to say sometimes is we are just a whole bunch of sinners. We are a bunch of sinners redeemed by God's grace. You get people in the community who will say, well, oh, you you go to a church. I think someday I should probably do that too. I, I should probably come to God someday, but I've got some things to work through first. Oh, guys, this is just the best news in the world. You, you, you come to God just like you are. And th- this is good news, jump for joy, totally confusing to the world, God taking ungodly people and saying, these are my people. These are the people I'm going to take to heaven. This is the the heart of the gospel. This is elaborating on things that Paul has already spoken of very thoroughly here in the book of Romans, especially in the second half of chapter 3, as we have been seeing that Paul says over and over and over in different ways, God saves sinners by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not even a little bit on the basis of of any religion that you could offer to him, not on the basis of any works that you could do for him, not on the basis of any merit where you could say, I deserve it in this way. It is pure grace, and it's received by faith in Jesus. So there's three themes in particular that he's, he's kind of been going through, and he's going to bring these three themes up again today. The first one is no boasting. God is determined to save people in a way that's not going to allow for human boasting in any way. As he said back in 327, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. The second theme that he's been going through over and over that he's going to bring up again here in this, these verses is that it's the same gospel in the New Testament that it was in the Old Testament, the same gospel in the Old Testament that it is in the New Testament, that it was spoken of throughout the scriptures as he said all the way in verse 1 of Romans 1, that this is the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, all the way back in the Old Testament, or as he said early, or more recently in 321, that the law and the prophets, that the Old Testament scriptures bear witness to this gospel. So there's no boasting. It's the same gospel in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the third thing he's been saying over and over that he's going to say again today is that it is the same gospel for all people. Not just the gospel for the Jews, not just the gospel for the Gentiles, that this is the gospel for all people and also all people of all time. Not just the gospel for people who came before the cross, or the gospel, who are people who came after the cross, but of all times and all places. And he's going to show us this by bringing up two Old Testament characters in particular. And he starts with Abraham Abraham being justified by faith alone. Now, sometimes you have this saying that there are these Abrahamic religions in the world, right? So people would say, okay, well, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all claim that Abraham is the forefather of their faith, that they came out of those people and Abraham's, uh, Abraham's God. Well, this is going to say Abraham had one faith, and there is one way to have the salvation of Abraham. There is actually only one Abrahamic religion, and it is the religion of faith in Jesus, Jesus was going to go on and say in in John chapter 8 to those who claim to have Abraham as their father, he he would say to them, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. And he would say to them, if you have God, the God of Abraham, if God, the the God of Abraham were your father, then you would love me, says Jesus. But Abraham was saved in the exact same way that people are saved today. Abraham came into a right relationship by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, even though he didn't know yet how it was all going to happen. He didn't know how it was going to play out. He didn't know that the Savior's name would be Jesus yet, but he was saved in the same way because this is how God saves people, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It says this, What shall we say then, verse 1 of chapter 4. What shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now where it says there, Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh... Different translations put that different ways and put commas in different places and kind of stuff like that. It's one of those phrases, according to the flesh is an ambiguous thing. You you look at that and you don't know, is it saying Abraham is our forefather according to the flesh? Or is it saying Abraham, our forefather, didn't gain anything according to the flesh? Or what did he find according to the flesh? Well, I think it's just one of those situations where you can't just say based on the grammar, but you put it together with the verses around it, and I think it's pretty plain that what it's talking about is that he didn't gain anything by the flesh. According to the flesh, by his works, there was nothing that was added to him. Paul, later in, in, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, he, he contrasts two things that you could, uh, could have as evidence of your faith. On the one hand, you could have works of the flesh, but then on the other hand, you could have the fruit of the Spirit. And he puts those as two different things, and he says, are you relying on works of the flesh, things like circumcision and things like the keeping the Jewish law, or th- even things like the works that you could do as a Christian now? He says, well, here's where the works of the flesh lead. They lead to all kinds of sin. That's why we usually think of those terms, works of the flesh, as gross now. It's because Paul pointed out, if you're relying on the works of the flesh, here's where the flesh goes. What we need instead is the fruit of the Spirit, not to rely on the works of the flesh. But those works, he says, according to the flesh, well, what could Abraham gain? Well, nothing. This is these external things according to the flesh, a thing that you could do, a thing that you could think, a thing that you could say, a thing that you could do, a a way that you yourself could be presented as worthy in yourself. Well, no, that's, that's not the basis of it. If you could save yourself by works of the flesh, or let me even put it this way, if you could prove to God that you were worth saving, by works of the flesh, then you know who would, have, who would be number one in the kingdom of heaven? The Pharisees. Because boy, they sure had the works of the flesh down. Now, in some ways, they were getting it very, very wrong. Jesus pointed that out, that, that they were following after the uh, laws of man that they had invented to try to work out the laws of Moses, that they, they, were, they were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But, but as far as, as, as doing these things externally that were, you know, these righteous deeds, well, they, they seem to really have it down. But you know, what, you know what Jesus says about that in Matthew 5, verse 20? He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to those who hear that and think, well, I have to to prove myself before God, that would be a very hopeless sentence. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. Well, whose righteousness exceeds theirs in that external way? In that boasting kind of way, nobody's. But do you know what Paul, the apostle, the former Pharisee, said about his own righteousness according to the flesh? He said this, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know what the reason for this is it says here in verse 2 because if Abraham was justified by works if he had these works of the flesh that he could present on the outside and say here God I have held up my part of the covenant therefore now you owe me if that was the way that the transaction were supposed to work well it says if that were the case then he has something to boast about but then it says this but not before God here is the point There is no boasting before God. Nobody can come before God with their resume of righteousness and say, God, obviously I am qualified to come. We talked about this when we were in Romans 3.27 about our boasting being excluded. And I just want to say it again. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven based on your resume, there is no listing of who you are and what it is that you have done that God would look at that and say, oh, okay, yeah, you're qualified. That's what happened in, in the illustration that Jesus says is coming in Matthew 7. That, that was what those who, who would ultimately be cast into hell did before, before Jesus. He said that on that day there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord. They'll say to him, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Bullet point number one on my spiritual resume, I prophesied in your name. Bullet point number two, we cast out demons in your name. Bullet point number three, we did many mighty works in your name. And he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Here's the point. If we could come before God and present a spiritual resume and be accepted on that basis then we could boast and God's not going to have it God does not bring people into his kingdom on the basis of what we could present to him the only way you get in is not by being qualified it's by knowing the owner you have to know him he has to know you And when we are known by God, even apart from our works, before we have done anything to follow after God in what he says is his law and his commandments, when we are known by God and come to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we are accepted. And he's done this in a way where there is no boasting, no bragging, nothing where you could come and say, I have achieved this for myself. But we all know how off-putting it is when somebody is braggadocious, don't we? I remember when I was in high school, there was a couple of baseball players who were in the the headlines all the time because they kept on uh, breaking these home run records. And I, I remember seeing one of these guys go on David Letterman. I was up late at night and was watching it. And he sat down next to David Letterman, and, and he, you know, Letterman said, congratulations on breaking this big record. You know what the guy did? He said, well, here's some other records I've broken that nobody's talking about. Let me tell you what else I've done. I'm going to make sure everybody knows exactly what all of my accomplishments are. And i got to say, I went into to that TV show thinking I'm going to like this guy, and I came out of it thinking I do not care for this guy. We, we know what that's like. And, and, of course, later he turned out to be one of those guys who had cheated by injecting himself with stuff. And, and you kind of think, well, when, when you're all about just bragging about yourself and trying to see how you can boost your numbers and, and be able to claim that you're the greatest, well, it's not surprising to see that get cast down. Well, guys, God will not accept bragging. God will not accept it in the least He's not going to accept, uh, uh, well, I am the kind of guy who blank. I am the kind of person who blank. God, this is why you should take me. It is completely on the basis of an alien righteousness that's received by faith. I'll explain that idea, alien righteousness, in just a second. But here's, here's the proof that Paul gives. Paul doesn't say, okay, well, this is just what we ought to think. He he gives his evidence in the Scriptures. Look at verse 3. He says, what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? This ought to always be our question. What does the Scripture say? Right? If we want to know what we believe, what it is that we should believe, what it is that we should do, what it is that God thinks, well, we have the Word of God. This is our final source of authority, to go to the Word of God and say, what does the Scripture say? Paul was believing and teaching us to believe here, and I say Paul, I should say God, breathing these words out through Paul's pen, teaches us that we need to always go back to the Scriptures. You, You could ask, what do faithful Bible preachers say? And that's not a bad question, right? That matters. There, there are people who have done a lot more studying of the Scriptures than we have, who can teach us a lot, who we can benefit from the work of the Holy Spirit in them and through them. That is a good thing. But we don't ultimately say, what does Steve Lawson say? We don't ultimately say, what does John MacArthur and Paul Washer and R.C. Sproul say? Those are great guys. We don't ultimately say, well, let's go back in history. What does Spurgeon and Calvin and Luther and Augustine say? What do the church fathers say? All of those are great questions. They matter. I think it's interesting to know what they said and often extremely helpful, extremely helpful. But here is the ultimate question. What does the Scripture say? We need to know this because there was a pattern that that, uh, those in Judaism in Jesus' day had gotten into where they were were debating among one another, what does this rabbi say? What does this teacher say? Not just what does the Scripture say, but what what does this person say and this person say and this person say? To to where you go into the writings that, that have become the additional Scriptures of modern Judaism, and it's all just like, you know, Rambam says this, and this guy, Rabbi, this says this, and, 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 and ultimately, here's what's noble. It says in Acts 17, when Paul came to the synagogue in the city of Berea, it's, the, the, the Bible says that the Jews in that city were more noble because they received the words with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Hear that? There's the noble attitude. We call this the Berean attitude, and it's exactly what Paul is doing right here. Yes, we are instructed by what many other teachers have to say, but ultimately, we need to say, what does the Scripture say? That's why we have that term sola scriptura, or Scripture alone. It doesn't mean that we only think about the words of Scripture, but it means that the Scripture is the final source of authority for what we believe And Paul says, I want to take you to the Scripture. I want to take you all the way back, not even just to Chronicles, not not even just to the Psalms or to Joshua. He's going to go back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And he says, look, here is what the Scripture says, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And he's just quoting straight from it. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now there, there were all kinds of those who would have said in Paul's day, who would have said, well, no, obviously you're not saved by faith alone because look at Abraham. He, he did all kinds of stuff. He, he went out and, and when God told him to go into a land that he had never seen before, well, he went And when God told him to go up the hill to potentially sacrifice his son Isaac, he went. Well, you know what Hebrews says about those things? It says he did them by faith. It was because of the faith that God had already given him that he then went and did those things. But what does the Scripture say about how he was counted as righteous before God? Why did God accept him? Was it on the basis of his works? Was it on the basis of his flesh? Basis of things that he could give to God? Well, no, it says this Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted in God. Abraham had faith in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was not saved by works, he was saved by faith. Later in this chapter, he's going to go on and emphasize, and we'll get to this next week, Lord willing. Uh, where that the, the Abraham's faith and his right standing with God came before Abraham had done the commands of the covenant that God was going to make with Abraham it was before he had gone through the act of circumcision prior to those things prior to Abraham upholding his end of the covenant he was already righteous in God's sight and it was by faith by faith alone his righteousness was counted as faith. Now, this is not to say that Abraham was the kind of person who would have faith, and he was, based, he was justified on the basis of being that kind of person. All right? We have to be very careful about that. If that were the case, then Abraham could boast about it, and you and I could boast about it. We could say, boy, I sure am glad that I'm the kind of person who believes, because those kinds of people who don't believe, boy, it must stink for them. None of us are the kind of person who would believe, and neither is Abraham. The Bible tells us that Abraham was an idolater. He was worshiping false gods, and God reached in by his grace and rescued him out of that. This was a gift of God's grace. It is always a gift of God's grace. Our believing is not the cause of God's making us right with him, of justifying us. Our believing, we, we, we call it the instrument of justification. The cause of being right with God is grace, and the way that he gives us that grace is through faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that's what Abraham had happen to him here. He didn't believe by his flesh and by his works and by his strength of will. This was a gift of God's grace so that no man could boast, and it was through faith, by faith, that he was counted righteous. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That counting to him, it it is not, oh, okay, that is something special and so I'm going to mark it up. It is taking something and putting it in your accounting column. Let Let me read you something that might clarify this a little bit. In Philemon, the book of Philemon, verse 18. There's only one chapter in Philemon, so we just call this Philemon 18. Paul says to Philemon concerning Onesimus, he says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. That's the, that's, that's the same concept right there. Take what is his and charge it to my account. It, it, this is what it's talking about when it says it was counted to him as righteousness. This is something that he did not possess, but that God put into his column anyway. That's what we call imputed righteousness. It's counted to you. It, it is given to you. you. know, It's not your own righteousness. It's not Abraham's own righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's Jesus's Righteousness that's put into your column in God's book by the means of faith, but in faith alone and not by our works. It's not being changed into a righteous man and then being justified because you were changed into righteousness. It's because of what God has done. This is what we call the covenant of grace. When we we use that word, when we say that God saves people by the covenant of grace, here's the basic thing we're talking about. We're just saying God has always saved people in the same way. It's always been by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There it is, Genesis fifteen six, with Abraham. And here's the good news. that's not just for Abraham, it's for us today. That the ungodly are justified by faith alone. Let's look at verse 4. It says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. There's a big difference between a wage and a gift. We understand this. We're used to this idea of wages... And wages are a good thing. The, the Bible condones wages, that you, you work hard. The worker is worthy of his wages, it says. Uh, Paul tells the, the church in, uh, in Thessalonica that if, if someone will not work, let him not eat. So there, there is a good thing about going through the normal course of life and earning your wage and receiving your wage for your work. Guys, there's a big category difference between a wage and a gift. A gift is something that's given freely without an expectation of being paid back. It, it, you don't give your daughter a bike for Christmas and then say to her, okay, now you're going to work this off by making me dinner every night for the next month. That, that's not a gift. That, that's just sort of like a, uh, you know, an, advanced, uh, an advance on your paycheck, or, on the other hand, you, you, you don't give somebody something and, and say, well, you're, you're going to pay it off. That's what the mob does, right? Um, but also, you don't receive a gift and then say, okay, I have gotten this thing. Now I have to pay it off to the person who gave it to me. Well, that's not a gift. That's a, that's a loan, right? Well, there, there, there is a category difference, and this is the main difference between biblical Christianity and every other system of religion, is that we see our right standing with God, our eternal life, let me put it this way, the Bible preaches that eternal life comes to us not as a wage from God, not as a reward from God, but as a free gift from God. Every other system in the world has something to do with being rewarded eternal life, or whatever its equivalent is in those systems, on the basis of what it is that we could present, of receiving a wage, but the Bible says, no. it is the ungodly who are counted as righteous as a gift by faith. It's amazing. That, that difference is put in, in Romans 6:23 like this: "The wages of sin is death. If we were seeking to earn a wage from God, that's the wage that you can earn from God death an eternal death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus we cannot be saved as a wage by something that we present to god it is a free gift to be received and this god is a god who justifies the ungodly by faith look at verse five to the one who does not work you hear that I love that he, he just makes that so clear. He's saying, This is in no way on the basis of works. We are talking about the one, that, just the words it says here, the one who does not work. And we in our flesh and the world in their flesh would look at that and say, Somebody who does not work deserves hell. And we would say, You're right. And here is the good news. Those who are ungodly and do not work are justified by faith. He says, to the one who does not work but believes in, and he just states this almost like a name of God, him who justifies the ungodly. Mm. His faith is counted as righteousness. You might almost imagine that as an insult term for God. If somebody were trying to say, well, God is bad, you might say, well, he, just, he justifies the ungodly. And, and that's part of the, the stumbling block that the cross is. That's part of the reason why this is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is because God has made a way not to make us better and then accept us, not to say, okay, I'm going to just give an example of Jesus on the cross that you ought to be good like him, and it might be hard in your life, and follow his example, and those who follow his example, I'll, I'll, I'll let them go. No, no, no. The, it, what, what Jesus has come to do, and what even Abraham was trusting in before Jesus came, is that God would justify the ungodly by faith, even those who do not work. Just mm, Just incredible. Uh, if you don't tell people about Jesus right now, you should be telling people about Jesus, okay? You, you should be evangelizing. Um, Angelo, when he came a couple weeks ago and, and preached uh, about the mission of Jesus, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and we need to be about that same mission. Ah, oh, just a fantastic word. But, but I just want to say this. This is a go-to verse, all right? When, when you are telling people about Christ, when you are inviting people come to faith in Jesus and be saved, you can bring this one out. You can say, are you ungodly? Great. Here is good news for you. You are exactly the kind of person that I was hoping God would have me talk to today. An ungodly person who does not work. A lazy, ungodly bum. And he says, here it is. Believe in him who justifies the ungodly and your faith will be counted as righteousness. Hmm, that's good. That's good news for when you tell it. That's good news for you right now. If you do not have faith in Jesus, he will save you by faith alone. Look to Jesus. You who know that you're ungodly, you who know that your works don't match up, it's a gift to know that. And look to Jesus whose works did match up, and he died anyway. He died in the place of the ungodly. He shed his blood for sinners like us. Uh, look to him and be saved. You need to be justified before you do any works. This is this is what happened to... Uh, Uh, To the thief on the cross. He said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And and Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise today. Amazing. There's a guy who did not work ever. (laughs) He, He died as he began trusting in Jesus. And Jesus says, You will be with me in paradise today. Wow. That is the ungodly who does not work having his faith counted to him as righteousness. You need to know sinner, sinner who needs to come to Jesus. Your sin is the proper qualification to come to Jesus. It's not the thing that needs to keep you away from God, although it will if you don't come to Christ. But your sin is the qualification to be saved. Bring your sin to Jesus and hand it to him, and trust in him, and he will save you by his grace. Mm. You also need to know this, that as we keep on going in the Christian life, we need to keep on seeing ourselves in Romans 4 verse 5. This is not only a verse about the initial act of conversion. It's not just about when you first come to faith in Jesus, this it continues to be who it is that is saved, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. I don't want you to hear me wrong. I don't want you to hear me saying that you ought not to do good works. You obviously ought to. All of chapter 6 is about that. We're going to get there. But what I'm saying is, and this is what Luther really brought out here, is that we need to keep on seeing ourselves as the ungodly. We need to keep on recognizing that we are the poor, wretched sinners who had nothing about us that was deserving and rejoicing that God would save us apart from our works through faith alone in Christ alone. Or let me put it this way. This is the way that Jesus put it when he opened up the Sermon on the Mount very first words out of his mouth, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what that means? He he was saying, not blessed are those who who understand exactly how high and close to God they are. He, He said, no, that's not the case. Not blessed are those who know that their works measure up, nope. He said, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. That's what that means. Blessed are those who continue to know that they have nothing in their hands to offer to God. No matter how sanctified you get, no matter how many works you've you've done in your life, no matter how many times you've read through the Scriptures and no matter how much change you have seen by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, we have to keep going back to Romans 4 verse 5 and saying, I am the ungodly who has no works to present to God upon which he could base my relationship with him. I am saved by his grace alone through faith alone. I am counted as a saint not because of something that's changed in me, but because God has given me the free gift of the righteousness of Jesus. And I remain a sinner who who recognizes my need, my desperate need on a daily basis for the grace of Christ, apart from which I would be doomed. So that's I mean, we we already recognized this earlier when we sang amazing grace. That he saved a wretch like me, right? That's what I'm saying. When we go back to Romans 4 or 5, we need to say that every time. Yeah, I may be a saint as somebody who trusts in Jesus, but it's still a wretch like me. As they used to put it in Latin back in the Reformation, simult justus et peccator, simultaneously justified and sinful, but just remembering, even though we don't despair in our sin, hey, I still have nothing to bring to God. It is still by his grace alone that he saved me. It's still just through faith in Jesus that we're saved. And that righteousness is counted to us by faith alone. It's not infused to us, it's imputed to us. Where it says there, that the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. I already mentioned that because it said that about Abraham, that counting, that putting it in your column. You need to know that this is the primary difference the biggest difference between Roman Catholicism and the Bible, between the gospel of Rome and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Rome would teach. Rome would teach that you must have faith in Jesus and you must do these things and that God must infuse righteousness to you. They would say... Yes, your righteousness is a gift from God, but they mean something very different than what the Bible says here. They mean by it, God causes you to be righteous, and therefore, upon the basis of the righteousness that he would then find in you, then you are going to go to heaven. That's the opposite of what the Bible says. It says, God looks at people in whom he finds no righteousness and counts them as righteous. Not infusing righteousness, but imputing it. Not putting it in you, but counting it to your account. Taking the righteousness of Jesus and giving it to you through faith alone. Now some of you in here, some of you, it, it, it bugs you when I say something about Catholicism. Because you have people in your life that you absolutely love who are Catholic and so do I, and, and we, we know that, and it's because we love them that we talk about these things, all right? And you might even have somebody in your life, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, you've talked to them about the gospel, and, and you, you say, well, that person believes the same gospel that I believe, but they're in the Catholic Church, so it must be okay to be in the Catholic Church. Guys, if you know somebody who believes the gospel of the Bible, invite them to this church help them to get out of that <laughs> help them to get out of a system that has solidified a false gospel for the past 500 years as there has been attempt after attempt to bring in the true gospel and to reform the church according to what it says here in the bible help them escape that but guys you need to know this is the big difference this is the difference It's not just the difference between Protestantism and Catholicism. It's the difference between being saved and being lost. Do we trust in our own righteousness? Do we trust in something that can be found in us? In something that we could put on our resume? Or do we trust in the righteousness of Christ alone? Him who justifies the ungodly. That's the gospel. This is is not a small matter. This is life and death. But you need to know that there is life offered here. Life, eternal life. This is lawless sinners justified by faith alone. He talked about Abraham, and then he talked about the general principle, and now he's going to go and he's going to talk about David. Remember, he's pointing out this is the way that God has always saved people. And he's going to say it's how God saved David, and it's the gospel that David preached in Psalm 32. So let's look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks, once again, he's going back to the Scriptures. He's saying, let's turn our eyes to the Old Testament. Let's turn our eyes to the Bible, and let's see this. It's not just Abraham, but it's David. This is the way that God has always saved people through all ages. And it says, David speaks of the blessing to the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Again, apart from works. It's not faith plus works. It is faith alone, grace alone. Blessings to the one who is counted righteous apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32 here in verse 7. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You know what blessed means there? Blessed means happy. Blessed means somebody who has received a special blessing. Now, we've we got to be careful not to bring in any kind of paganism or something, but just in the modern vernacular, you might say lucky, right? There, there, is, uh, there, there is this idea of just something amazing has happened for me. I need to jump for joy about this. And that blessing is for those who are spiritually bankrupt who receive forgiveness freely through faith in Christ. And that's not just what it says in the New Testament. It's what it says in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. I want to ask you this. Do you have lawless deeds? Do you have lawless deeds that you're convicted about right now? That you did... When you broke the speed limit on the way here this morning? I guess that's just the people who made it on time, right? (laughs) But maybe you could dig back a little deeper and you think, I have lawless deeds. Not just lawless against the laws of society, but more importantly, lawless against the laws of God. Maybe you're broken over these things. I have good news for you. God loves to forgive lawless deeds and the people who have committed them. And the way he does it is by the cross of Jesus, where Jesus died to pay the penalty for lawless deeds, right in between two actual criminals. He was counted as a criminal, died a criminal's death for lawless people right there, Look to the cross of Christ, lawless deed-doer, and rejoice. Be blessed. And then it says, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Guys, do you have sins? Do you have sins that are heavy on your heart? That's the work of the Holy Spirit for you to know about that, for you to see that. He comes and he convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. But God loves to cover sins. That's what it says, whose sins are covered. Sinner, look to the cross of Christ and be blessed. Rejoice. And then he says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That counting, that's a long record. Maybe you've got a long record of sins that you've committed. Maybe you would look at yourself and say, I don't even know how anybody could be more sinful than I am. That's what Paul said about himself, chief of sinners. Guys, God loves to count that long record of sins to Christ and to put those sins away by his death on the cross and to count Christ's righteousness to you, sinner, by faith. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god so here it is whether you are a believer already or not here's the message sinner look to the christ, cross of christ in faith in him and rejoice jump for joy blessed is the man against whom the lord will not count his sins let's pray Father, we thank you that Jesus has come, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. God, we thank you that you would save a wretch like me, a wretch like any of us, by your grace given to us through faith alone in Christ alone. Uh, I pray that if there are those, um, even our own children and our own families who, who are here right now and not yet believing in this Christ, I pray that you turn them to Jesus that you'd cover their sins, that you would count the one who has not worked but who would trust in the one who justifies the ungodly. Count them as righteous by faith. Lord, just save us. Lord, we thank you for the Philippian jailer who was saved by faith alone in Christ alone. We thank you for Paul who was saved by faith alone in Christ alone, for Abraham, for David, for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ of all time that we can point to here and see just the beauty that you save the unrighteous. And Lord, I pray that we would be among that number. Lord, just let us be blessed. Let us rejoice in having our sins covered and our lawless deeds forgiven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.